Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, we're continuing today in our series that we've been in over the last few weeks called What Faith Looks Like. Now, we've been making our way uh, through the heroes of the faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. They give us a portrait of what it looks like to be people who trust, who have faith, first and foremost, in, in who God is. And the characters named across Hebrews chapter 11 are not named, are not highlighted because they were morally perfect, because they had no flaws to speak of of any kind, not because they had any uh, inherent traits that made them superior to anyone else. So that They're highlighted in this chapter because at the end of the day, the people named here, trusted first and foremost in the promises of God. Even when they couldn't see the whole picture, even when it might have seemed as if God had abandoned them or was dragging his feet, their faith, their trust, their allegiance was first and foremost in the God who can be trusted. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 12 where, where God first calls this man Abram to follow him. God doesn't reveal a great deal of specifics in those nine verses that we looked at last week, but, but what we saw was that God tells Abram to go to the land that he would show them and that the end result would be blessing for him and for the entire world. And in light of that calling, Abram goes. And we mentioned that up to that point in the book of Genesis, there is a dark backdrop across the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Curse after curse as humanity rejects God's calling over them and, and tries to go their own way. And in the midst of that, God comes to Abram and promises blessing. Blessing for him and by extension for the entire world. And Abram trusts in that promise. He follows the calling of God and that leads him into the promised land of Canaan. But we highlighted last week that despite all of these promises from God that are poured out in Genesis chapter 12, at the outset there's not a whole lot of evidence that all that's going to be fulfilled. There's not a down payment from God or anything like that. And we're going to jump ahead in, in the story of Genesis this morning. Uh, as Abram and Sarai, who we met last week, have their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. But what we'll see is that even though we're jumping ahead a, a fair amount of time and a fair amount of chapters in the book of Genesis, there's not a whole lot's changed. God is still making promises, but there still hasn't been a, a, a sign of fulfillment necessarily, or at least a, a big one. And yet throughout that, Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, continue to trust, continue to have faith, continue to base their entire existence upon the promises of God. From the very first moment where the book of Genesis introduces us to this couple, Abram and Sarai, it is highlighted for us that they seem to be unlikely candidates to receive God's blessing due to the fact of their age. When we're first introduced to Sarai, Genesis 11.30 tells us that Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. If we keep reading into chapter 12, in the, in the passage we looked at last week, you might remember that well, we're told Abram is 75 years old when God calls him to leave his home, far past the age where childbearing would be assumed to be possible. And so it seems strange, it seems unlikely that God would come to these elderly people who have no children and tell them that you're going to have a numerous descendants. And yet they set out 
to this land they've never seen, believing that the God who has revealed himself to them will fulfill his promises and will give them children, will give them the land that they are traveling into, even though they don't have the first hint of the fulfillment of those promises. That might be an overly blunt description, but, but the text describes things in that way to make a point to us. That from a human perspective, from our vantage point, it would seem Abram and Sarai have no prospects of land or having children, so if they are to see these promises come to fulfillment, if they are to have children, if they are to receive this land like God is promising, it is only going to be possible because of the work and the power of God. And so Abram and Sarai set out, yet they don't have a son. So Abram and Sarai go, and we're not going to cover every last detail of the next few chapters of Genesis, but we come to chapter 15, and God appears to Abram. It promises him that he will have descendants who will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and to confirm that covenant, God commands Abram uh, to bring him animals and to cut them in half before him. And the text doesn't walk us through all of of the details, but this is a standard way that a covenant is ratified in Abram's day. And so uh, Abram goes through all the arrangements you would typically uh, go through, and the culmination would be expected that Abram cuts all these animals in half, and then he walks through the middle of them, which is kind of gross, but you can picture it. And as you walk through that, uh, it is a statement that Abram makes to God that if I do not uphold my end of the bargain, may I become as these animals that are cut in half. So Abram makes all the preparations, but when the time comes, it's the presence of God that passes between these animals. The superior party making this pledge to the inferior, the eternal God with no beginning or end who created all things, sustains all things at every second, pledging to a fallible human being that he will be faithful to the covenant he has made. And if he is not, may he be torn apart if that were even possible. It's an incredible moment, an incredible uh, statement, a, a, a scene that I'm sure Abraham remembered for the rest of his life as God pledges to be faithful eternally, and yet there's a promise, but no son. We keep reading into Genesis 16, and we're, we're reminded at the beginning of this chapter that Sarai has borne nor, no children, and at this point, Abram and Sarai have been living in the land of Canaan ten years. Ten years past the call of Abram and Sarai in chapter 12. Ten years of the promises of God remaining unfulfilled. Ten years of this promise hovering over every day, over every aspect of their existence, and no fulfillment. So Sarai decides she's had enough of waiting, which we can understand to a certain extent, even while acknowledging that she goes against the commands of God here. She gives her servant girl Hagar to her husband Abram. Hagar gives birth to a son. They name him Ishmael. And now Abram has a son. He just just doesn't have the son that was promised. So in Genesis 17, the next chapter, God comes to Abram when he is 99 years old. Thirteen years pass between the end of Genesis 16 and the beginning of Genesis 17. God appears... And again promises to Abram that he and Sarai will have a son. He changes their names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah as a demonstration of his promise that a great nation will descend from them. And Abraham, as we might imagine, cannot believe it. In chapter 17, verses 17 and 18, it says, Abraham fell face down. 
He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael, the son who's already been born, if, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. But God emphasizes again, Abraham and Sarah will have a son, they will name him Isaac, and God will continue the covenant that he has established with Abraham to bless the entire world through Isaac. God continues to up the ante on this promise that he has made, and yet, there's no son. We jump to Genesis 18, where these three mysterious visitors show up to Abraham and Sarah's tent, and they promise them that in a year, Abraham and Sarah will have a son. And again, the text doesn't beat around the bush. Genesis 18.11 says, Abraham and Sarah were already very old. I don't think they got a say in the editing of the, of the text there. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So when Sarah hears this news that within the next year she's going to give birth, she laughs because the idea of her having a child is ridiculous. God missed his chance. Yet throughout this entire process, 25 years where Abraham and Sarah have been traveling without a permanent home, waiting on the promises of God, the matter has never been up to human agendas or concerns. It has been up to the work of God. And all of that ground covered sets the stage for Genesis 21. After all this waiting, nine chapters, 25 years, a sign of the promises of God coming to fulfillment finally happens as Abraham and Sarah give birth to this child that was promised. I'll read Genesis 21, verses 1 to 7. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. After 25 years of responding to God's promise in faith, day after day, the first step, the first fulfillment of that promise shows up here. And I, and I think that's worth emphasizing. Because if we wanted, we could sit down and in, in one, uh, one go of it, we could cover all of Genesis 12 to 21, all the ground that, that between where we were last week and where we are this week, we could sit down and read it all in, at one time. I mean, I've, I've summarized it roughly here in just a few minutes. And for that reason, that makes it easy for us to lose perspective on how much time is covered over the course of those chapters. My guess is that for most of us who have been alive for more than 25 years, there are very few things about life today that are the same now as they were 25 years ago. And for Abraham and Sarah, the only thing that was still the same over the course of those years was the promise of God. Everything else, where they lived, what they did, even their own names had changed over the course of that time. But the thing that remained the same was the promise of God. And now, after two and a half decades of trusting in that promise and acting in light of it, God has begun to fulfill his promise through giving them this son, Isaac. 
in all of this, as has been the case from the very first moment God revealed himself to Abraham, has come about because of the power of God. This passage begins there in verse 1 by saying, The Lord was gracious to Sarah. That's how the New International Version translates that, but the, the English Standard Version has a, more, a little more literal translation of that Hebrew word and says, The Lord visited Sarah. And that's kind of an odd way to phrase it, but I mention that because it clues us in that the word being translated there is one that is significant across the Old Testament. That Hebrew word is a word that when it's used in reference to God is used to refer to God showing up to do something. And sometimes that's positive. God shows up like he does here. Sometimes that's, that's negative, like God showing up while his people are in rebellion and showing up to, to bring judgment. At the end of the book of Genesis... Abraham's great-grandson Joseph is near death. He's speaking to the rest of his family, the nation of Israel, while they are in Egypt. And he says to them that there will come a day when God will visit them. The New International Version says God will come to their aid. And he will take them out of Egypt back to the land that he had promised to give to Abraham's descendants. We turn over into the next book in our Bibles, and the nation of Israel is in slavery in Egypt, and God appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He tells him to go to the people of Israel to tell them that God has been watching over them. That same word will deliver them out of their slavery. At the end of Exodus chapter 4, Moses comes back to Egypt. The text says that, that when the elders of the people heard that the Lord was concerned about them, the same word, they fall down before God in worship. If you were a part of our study through the book of Ruth in Sunday school last fall, you might remember that at the beginning of the book, there had been a famine in the land of Israel, but Naomi decides to go back to the land of Israel because she has heard that the Lord has come to the aid, has visited his people. When God shows up, when God visits, things start to happen. It's true in the Exodus, it's true in the book of Ruth, it's true here. As God visits, and the result is the birth of Isaac. God is a God who visits, and therefore we can trust him. The God that we put our faith in is not one who is detached and distant. He is not a God who has given us the rule book and is expecting us to figure it out on our own and will not help us no matter how many times we ask. He is a God who shows up, and when he shows up, things happen. The fact that God has established a covenant with his people, has established a covenant with you and me, means at the most basic level that he cares. It means far more than that, but it at least means that. Just like how a spouse is bound to care for the person that they are married to, regardless of how they feel about them in any given moment, God cares about his people. He's the God who bound himself to Abraham, has bound himself to us through the blood of his son. So what that means for us is that God is near. The fact that Sarah endured 25 years of not being able to have a son, 25 years of shame, 25 years of believing in God despite all evidence, it did not mean God was not present. It did not mean God was not invested in what was going on. The same is true today. The God who is near to Sarah is near to us. He is still a God who visits. He is a God who has given us the ultimate visit in sending his son Jesus to this earth so that we might be redeemed out of sin and death and into life with him. And that act that established his new covenant with his people means he is present with us at all times and in all situations. 
And that presence might not always show itself in the way we want. It might not always be as big and as exciting as we would like, but our faith is not based on how we feel at any given moment. It's not based on whether or not God is meeting the standards we set for Him. It is based on the fact He has revealed Himself to us in His Son, has bound Himself to us for all time, and that truth transcends any feeling we might have at any point day to day. Even if God feels distant, even if life isn't going the way we expect, even if we have questions, even if we have to spend 25 years waiting on God, we can know He is near. We can know that He's still worthy of our praise, still worthy of our trust, because He's a God who visits. And He's a God who keeps His promises. If you notice there in verse 1, it says, The Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said. God does the thing he promised to do. The timing was not what Abraham and Sarah expected, but God never asked Abraham and Sarah if he should work on their schedule, and in my experience, he's never asked me either. Yet God still accomplishes his purposes, as he had said. He promised Abraham and Sarah he would give them a son, and he might not have done that in the way that a human being might go about it, but he accomplishes his purposes to make it abundantly clear that this is the work of God. And I know that might sound like I'm contradicting what I just said about God taking an interest in us, but hang with me. Because at the end of the day, God is concerned with accomplishing his purposes that form us more into the image of his Son and bring glory to him. He's not primarily concerned with our success, with our kids' success, not with increasing our bank account or the square footage of the place where we live. He's not concerned with us climbing the the corporate ladder. Those things might happen along the way, and there's nothing wrong with any of them happening if they do come. But they are not the main thing. The main thing is God accomplishing His purposes in us as we grow to look more like Christ and bring glory to Him wherever we might find ourselves. That is what it looks like to put our faith in God as we walk with Him. And as we see Sarah do that in this passage, the end result is laughter. The work of God transforms the laughter of Abraham and Sarah from laughter of disbelief into laughter of joy, which are two different types of laughter that start in two different places and end in two different places as well. And I think they're worth comparing the two. So we're going to try this out now because you look like a crowd that's looking for audience participation. So... I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you, maybe ideally someone that you live with, and give them your best laughter of disbelief. Like, I don't, like, let's say hypothetically the news came out this morning that some research had been done, and actually the Vikings won the Super Bowl a few weeks ago. Like, just, you know, turn to the person next to you and, and, and simulate what that laugh would be like. And after you do that, you can give your best laughter of joy. I can't come up with a, a good example of that, but imagine you've just received the best news you could ever imagine, the, whatever that is in your own head, and, and the only response is to just laugh with joy. You can give that to the person sitting next to you as well. Back in Genesis 17... God says to Abraham that he and Sarah will have a son. And Abraham's response is to fall face down before God and laugh. There's no way it is possible for he and Sarah to have a child in their own age, in their old age. It is a laughter of disbelief. There's no way this is ever going to happen. 
And then in chapter 18, these three mysterious visitors come to Abraham and Sarah. They repeat the same thing. And Sarah's response is to laugh at the idea again. It's too late. There's no way this is ever going to happen. Who in their right mind would think that this was possible? And now in chapter 21, Sarah laughs again. Laughs at the fact that the promises of God have been fulfilled. Says that everyone who hears about what has happened will laugh with her. Not a laughter of mocking, but a laughter of joy. Even the narrator of this text seems to be having a hard time getting over how shocking this is. There in verse 2, it says, Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And then, just in case you missed it, the narrator says again in verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. The work of God is so amazing, so improbable, so surprising, the only response is to laugh. The name given to this son, Isaac, means laughter. A testament over his entire life of the joy that came with his birth. And that sort of laughter is only possible through faith that has believed in the promises of God. The blessing Sarah experiences in this passage does not come through her own abilities because she had finally done enough to earn it. In fact, across the story of Genesis, the root of all sorts of problems come from people, Abraham and Sarah included, doing what they think is best as opposed to waiting on the work of God. But when we wait, trust, have faith in what God is doing, we see God work in us and around us to accomplish his purposes. That waiting doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do, but from the foundation of faith, we live in a posture of waiting to see the movement of God so that we can follow where he leads. And that's what's highlighted in the two verses devoted to Sarah in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 11 to 12 says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Faith, our faith, is based in who God is. Notice how verse 11 of that passage is phrased. Sarah was able to bear children because she considered God faithful. Despite her circumstances, despite her age, despite the amount of time passed, when she weighed the evidence, she knew God was faithful. And for that reason, this son God promised was born. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God spent 25 years waiting for Sarah to work up enough faith so that she could have a child. I'm saying that the foundation of of the entire story of Sarah is a trust, a faith, in the faithfulness of God. Not a faith in Sarah's own abilities, not a faith in what she's accomplished, a foundation that first and foremost is grounded in the fact that the God who's revealed himself to us, is always faithful to his promises. That is what faith looks like. Our trust, our faith, is grounded in who God is. Not in doing enough so that God owes us. Not in us saying the right prayer to twist God's arm into doing what we want him to do. God is always faithful. And that's our foundation. He sent His Son to bring us into relationship with Him. He's promised that He will one day complete that process of restoring all things at Christ's return, and that is our foundation. Like Sarah, we consider the one who has made the promise to be faithful. He promised to send His Son, 
promised that he would die on the cross and rise from the dead, and those things have happened, and he will one day return to restore all things, to complete the process that began when God first called Abraham in Genesis 12 to leave his home and go to the land he would show him. Because, and because he has done that in the past, we know he will be faithful in the future, and therefore we trust in him in the present as he works in us and around us to bring those plans to completion. And God accomplishes those purposes through unlikely means. A point made there in verse 12. At a hundred years old, Abraham was as good as dead, had no heirs to pass an inheritance onto, and yet God was not done. It might not have looked like much, but God gave him a son as that first descendant that would eventually become the nation of Israel. And out of that people, there would come one son who would live, die, rise from the dead to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham to bless the entire world through him. That's the God we worship, a God who works in ways that might be unexpected, but demonstrates his power as the God of all things who keeps his promises. So as we live today as people who have our faith in God as our foundation, we live as people that ground ourselves in the fact that God is faithful. Just as he was faithful to Abraham and Sarah, just as he never let go of them, he is faithful to us and he has promised to never leave or forsake us. No matter what we go or what we, no matter where we go or what we do, knowing we go knowing that God is good to us and desires to draw us near so that we might be formed more deeply into the image of His Son. And as we live in that way, that sort of faith will bring with it seasons of waiting. That's what it looked like for long seasons of life for Abraham and Sarah. Sometimes faith means waiting. And that waiting does not mean that we stick our heads in the sand, assuming somehow it's all going to work out. We just need to sit back and watch. Waiting on God looks like being faithful in the present as we trust that God is at work in and around us to bring about his purposes. I can look back over my own life and see seasons where I wanted something to happen so badly and it didn't. And it wasn't until years down the road where I could see how God was at work and how he brought about his purposes, even when I thought I had the whole picture and didn't. I wouldn't be on this stage right now if it wasn't for seasons of waiting, seasons of wanting God to do something, and in his faithfulness, forcing me to trust in his timing instead. And maybe you find yourself there this morning. Maybe you're wanting a new job or a promotion and it isn't happening on the schedule you would like. A slower schedule does not mean God's purposes have been stopped. It might mean God is preparing you so that wherever you go next, you go into it as someone who looks like Jesus. Maybe going to school every day right now is a drag and you don't know how you're going to make it to the end of the semester. And I can't give a solution to to a specific problem, but I can tell you that God has not forgotten you and he desires that you would go into each day knowing that his presence is near as his spirit fills you wherever you might go. Maybe you've been like Abraham and Sarah here, hoping to start a family for a long time and it hasn't happened. And if that is where, we, where you are, God is still present, still at work, still there to comfort and walk with you through difficulty into life with Him. Maybe finances are tight. You wish money would just fall out of the sky and it won't happen. God is near and desires that you would draw near and depend on Him no matter what we might go through. 
Because God might not work in the ways we always want, but he calls us to him, and faith invites us to experience who he is, to experience life with him, which is always better than what we will find on our own. So no matter where we go, may we walk with our God, who keeps his promises, who is faithful to us, and invites us into life with him. Let's pray. God, you're good. We thank you that you do not abandon us, that you are faithful to the promises you have made, that you fulfilled your promises to Abraham and Sarah and giving them their son Isaac, but ultimately giving them that descendant who would come and bless all the nations, Jesus. And as people who have experienced the first step, that received the first taste of that blessing and having life with you, Father, help us to follow the examples we see in Scripture and walk in faith. Even when we don't have the whole picture, even when we don't know uh, how everything will turn out, Father, give us faith to trust in you as we know you're at work, as we know you're near. For those of us who are hurting this morning, Father, we ask that you would fill us with strength and confidence to know that no matter what is waiting for us at the end of our time this morning, that wherever we go, you go with us and you're inviting us into deeper life with you. As we do that, may we continually grow to be more like your son so that we might know your goodness and your faithfulness and proclaim that to a world that needs to know that goodness and that faithfulness as well. It's because of your son Jesus and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 